Welcome to the Reed Connected Podcast, where brother and sister hosts, Dr. Gerald Reed and myself, Alexis Reed, team up to discuss different facets of learning and well-being together and with other experts in the field. This podcast is about presenting ideas, concepts, strategies, and skills that are relevant to the primary topics of mental health, well-being, performance psychology, education, learning, and executive functioning. In this podcast, we aim to focus discussions through the lens of helping individuals determine best paths for themselves throughout the lifespan. In particular, we'll focus on three aspects of an individual's development, which are a secure self, feeling secure within oneself and life, a connected self, feeling connected with others and a larger purpose, and a strong self, feeling capable to efficiently navigate one's life and challenges all of which come together to become a guide for purposeful work and living. So who are we? Dr. Gerald Reed is a clinical psychologist in private practice in the Boston area, sport and performance psychologist. He's trained in neuropsychological assessments and is a professor, author, and songwriter. I myself am Alexis Reed, an educational therapist, executive function coach, educator, learning consultant, speaker, author, and have a passion for universal design for learning, executive function, and social-emotional learning. Gerald and I have had the privilege of being educated and trained at premier institutions and work alongside incredible mentors and experts in our fields, whom we look forward to introducing you to through this podcast. In our private practices, we've worked diligently and thoughtfully, often collaboratively, to best support our patients and clients aiming to connect the dots from a more holistic perspective. Additionally, we're both grateful to work with dedicated educators and therapists, as well as those in training, to support them in their professional development journeys. We're committed to inspiring hope through learning here in this podcast as we share similar messages across all that we do. Whether you're working to support others professionally, or a caregiver, learner, or just figuring things out for yourself, there'll be so much for you to explore along with us at Read Connected Podcast. However, please be advised that the content of this podcast is not intended to be a replacement for medical care, psychotherapy, or other services you may benefit from. Again, the purpose is to share concepts, ideas, strategies, and skills that you may consider relevant to you. And we encourage you to seek out your own professional support when needed and appropriate, be it a psychotherapist, a counselor, medical doctor, tutor, executive function coach, performance consultant, whatever it may be, we hope you find it. We look forward to all the explorations we share together. Check the show notes for more information and episode takeaways, subscribe to the podcast for future episodes, and you can follow us on Instagram at Read Connected Podcast and Twitter at Read Connected. R-E-I-D connected. Thanks for coming along on this journey with us. And we offer that you be curious, be open, and be well. Welcome back, everybody, to the Reconnected Podcast. This is Dr. Gerald Reed and my sister, Alexis Reed. This is episode two. In episode one, Alexis interviewed myself as a psychologist to talk about the process of therapy, why someone may want to engage in therapy, and what that looks like. And today, we're going to turn the tables, and I'm going to interview Alexis, and she's going to tell us a little bit about her work. She's an educational therapist, she's an executive functioning coach, and a learning consultant. So my first question for you today, Alexis, is 
Tell us about what you help people with. Why would someone want to work with you? Great question, Jared. Thanks for having me in this forum to talk a little bit about what this work is all about, because I think a lot of people really do and can benefit from this type of practice and really figuring themselves out as a learner and just somebody who's navigating through the world. So my work is so multifaceted and super nuanced. You know, when I work with different individuals across the lifespan, as you can imagine, it might look different with different people at different times. And essentially, in very simplistic terms, I help people get things done efficiently, right? Whether they're in their classroom or they're at work or they're just trying to figure out how to do things differently in their lives, that's pretty much what it boils down to. So sometimes when I work with younger people, I might use different terminology to make it kind of fun and exciting, but really that's what I do. And we'll dive deeper into the nuances and the specifics of executive functions as a cognitive set of skills. But for now, you know, I really just want us to focus on how I really help individuals increase their awareness about what's helpful and not helpful in different areas of their lives. I facilitate learning skills and strategies for individuals to increase their focus, their attention, memory, better inhibit themselves to press pause and organize their thoughts and things, establish plans, prioritize their time, resources, and energy while finding the best approaches to get started, and then monitor their progress, right? And assess what completion really looks and feels like. Because sometimes that whole process, it seems simple to say, oh, I'm going to go do a thing. But all of the different component parts often get convoluted and we can go astray or other things that can come up um, that can interfere with that process. And really, you know, developmentally, sometimes there are people who just haven't learned or developed these skills yet. I work with some really incredibly intelligent and talented people who have compensated sometimes for a lack of these skills that they've been able to be successful without really putting in much effort. And then all of a sudden the demands increase, whether they're going to a different grade or a different portion of their life, and they get taxed in different ways and they need to turn on these executive function skills that allow for them to press pause and assess a situation, to hold on to information and do something with it in a new way, and then be cognitively flexible to say, wait, this isn't working in this way. What else can I be doing? And really, you know, it's kind of humbling at times when somebody comes to me and says, hey, look, you know, this hasn't been working. I know that I'm capable of doing more than I am, and I don't know what to do about it. Can you help me to kind of develop different skills and figure out different approaches and better understand myself as a learner who's navigating through the world? And I say learner broadly. I'm not talking about just somebody who might be in a classroom or in a school, but we're all really learning every single day. I have a plaque on my desk by Michelangelo that says, I'm still learning. And it just reminds me that there's so much to learn in every interaction, every experience, and every bit of content that we have a lot of access to these days on the internet that, you know, there's so much to learn and there's so much to do. And being able to help people do that more efficiently, find their passions and follow and approach and reach their goals is really at the crux of what I do. 
So you help people really achieve their goals and to kind of actualize their potential and make sure that they recognize what gets in the way and how to get around, around that. That's that's really wonderful. And I've heard many stories of the great work you do, and it's really super amazing to hear about. Uh, thanks, Cher. Of course. And I just want to make a point here. Are you, are you saying that it's actually not easy to prioritize your time, organize information, have plans <laughs> in this digital world that we live in and the world is spinning so fast and we're inundated <laughs> with millions and infinite amount of information on a daily basis that's distracting us and pulling us in different directions? Are you saying that's hard to do? Oh my gosh, my brain just got disorganized and overwhelmed by you just saying that because yes, it's absolutely the truth. And, you know, even individuals who don't have executive function challenges might interact with situations where there's just too much. It's like information overload or your plates get too full with all the tasks and things you need to do each day that it's hard to juggle and balance. I think it's hysterical that we are in a day and age that you know, wellness is such a priority, at least from a commercial standpoint. And the goal is to find balance in life. And I don't know if we can ever fully achieve that. We can aim for some kind of balance of information and resources and how we use our time. But that is so incredibly difficult. And I think we need to actually shift the conversation around what we're aiming for, not trying to do it all, but trying to do what we do well and feel good about it along the way. And it's certainly a fluid and dynamic process of reflecting on what works, what doesn't, at what time, in what space, in what context. So I agree with you. There's not a kind of one size fits all defining balance in your life, and it may not ever be achievable exactly the way you hope it could be. Yeah. Great point, Lex. So let me ask you this question then. Tell me some examples of types of executive function uh, challenges someone might face and what that process might look like in terms of assessing that and understanding it better for the individual. Yeah. So even though I'm not a clinical psychologist, I kind of take a similar approach at the beginning to kind of get a little information about the history of each individual I work with, understanding what their experiences have been both in school and in life, because there's so many different factors that can impact this set of cognitive skills. And I, I briefly mentioned that we're really talking about a set of skills that don't fully come online until you're close to your your late 20s and early 30s a lot of the neuroscience is showing now that there's a delay and you know with covid happening for these past few years i can only imagine the impact of that on our brains as well and in neural development so when i talk to an individual for the first time, I really try to gain as much information as possible because often they'll come to me, whether it's a parent or an adult or a young adult, and they'll say, I or my child is having difficulty with getting things done. You know, they come home from school and they just jump on their phones or on the video games and they're doing anything else except for doing their work and the things that they need to do. And they're having a really hard time using their time wisely and their rooms are disorganized or individuals who are in the workplace might say, I'm so behind on projects and I'm not keeping up my end of the bargain with what I need to do professionally or even at home, right? Just not being able to keep up with chores and daily tasks and and even daily life skills, like being able to care for ourselves, eating well, exercising regularly, taking care of our household, 
our pets, our kids, you know, sometimes all of those things can get impacted by our executive function skills and feeling like you were mentioning before, overwhelmed and inundated by so much information and so many different things that we need to do. So I like to gather as much information as possible to really understand the whole person and their experience because any student who is not doing work, I've never met an individual over the course of my almost 20 years of work in education who doesn't want to do well, right? If they are struggling, if they are feeling challenged, if they are not executing tasks in an efficient way, there's usually something else going on. Sometimes, to be quite honest, and that's why I love working with you and other therapists in the field, because sometimes there's an emotional factor that's involved. Sometimes there's a social factor. Sometimes there's a physical factor. I work with a lot of individuals who have had different um, developmental disorders and situations in their life where in their early years, they might have had to have operations and interventions and other things that they had to do to be functioning and developing properly, which has also impacted their executive function skills. We really want to think about all of the different factors that impact our brain and neural development. And a lot of people don't think about how nutrition, how trauma, how the different factors in the environment can impact the way in which your brain is developing. So I really take in all of that information before we get started. Mm-hmm. That's great, Lux. And I like the fact that you really play, pay close attention to what are those factors involved? What are the skills that they're having a hard time with and what may play a role? And uh, on the therapy side, you know, like you said, I can try to, as a therapist, try to address those other factors that are more therapeutic in nature. I want to also say that I'm a big motivational guy. I think that motivation is a big thing. And, you know, he had said kids and people generally want to do well. They don't necessarily want to uh, struggle or not do their work or it's not that they don't care. Um, I'm going to tweak that a little bit. I'm going to say, in my opinion, I think sometimes people truly may not care about doing certain things, but there's a reason for it, as you alluded to. Maybe they're prioritizing something else over, let's say, their work or something that's a responsibility for them. And maybe it's not that they don't necessarily, it's not that they don't want to do it, but they're prioritizing something over that. And there could be a million reasons why they're prioritizing something over a responsibility or their work. Uh, and you have plenty of examples. You know, some examples could be the work is very difficult. They're confused. They're disorganized. It's they're perfectionist. They have a hard time getting started. Um, there could be other you know stressors in their life that are just more important, right? If you have a relationship problem, you can feel like that's way more important than doing a homework assignment in your mind. Especially, let's say you're an adolescent. You're you know you're trying to find your way in the world socially, try to build relationships. So you know there's a lot of different reasons why someone would prioritize something else other than their work. And uh, we'll talk more about that a little bit later because I think there's also an, a motivational piece to the executive functioning skills. You know, that's such a great point. And in my work in universal design for learning, I've really been conditioned to always think about what's the goal, right? And what is their goal? What are they prioritizing at any given moment? And oftentimes an individual's priorities aren't the same as maybe what they need to be doing in that moment. So it's a really great example to be able to share that, Jerry. I appreciate that. And they may not even realize that there are priorities that are competing for each other. And that's, you know, sacrifices sometimes have to be made. And maybe that's not a conscious process that you have to help them become aware of how they're prioritizing things differently. 
folding clothes and doing dishes is not always a, a, a preferred task for most people, but it is often a priority, but it might not feel that way in any given moment. And so you, you alluded to earlier, I've, from what you had said, is you try to make things more motivating, more meaningful, so that they do prioritize things that they should be doing or, or would benefit from doing. Yeah. And at the core of my work, it's really about relationships and building a relationship with the individuals I work with and the people in their lives too, sometimes thinking about families and family systems and how all of it plays with each other. All of it works together. Let me ask you this though. I feel like sometimes in life, the systems around us may not be working for us and that really makes it harder to utilize executive skills. So I'm thinking of an example, let's say um, a child who uh, or, or anybody really who you know can't find certain items in their house, or things are moving very fast in their family, and you know there's not a place for where everything should be, so it's hard to find things, and people get you know frustrated with each other because everything's rushed or they can't find things. So give me an example of that maybe where you know the environment itself could be making it harder to utilize executive functioning skills, and sometimes you got to change the environment rather than change the person. Joe, that's a really great point because the environment plays such an important role in all of this, whether you're learning or just trying to get through your days. There's something really grounding about having predictability to know where things are and what you need to be able to navigate through your day. When you think about prioritizing and managing time, you know, if you're spending most of your time just searching for something that you need to get out the door or to finish a task, that's going to be very difficult to do unless there's some order. I like to say another one of my Alexisisms is that everything should have a space in place. And if we can establish some kind of system for where we go to find different things that we need, it actually becomes a little bit more grounding for us as we're navigating through our days. And, and thinking about the stress and anxiety side of things, it sometimes releases some of that pressure and oftentimes that cognitive load of trying to like think in your mind, okay, where was this? Where was I last when I had this? Everybody can think about a time where you might have lost something, whether it's your phone or your keys or your wallet, and you have to retrace your steps. Imagine doing that every single day, how stressful that is and how stressful that would feel like. And, and that's the reality for a lot of people, especially you know those who have executive function challenges, which is most closely related with ADHD. But as you mentioned before, this can pop up for anybody in their lives, depending on you know, the level of stress or urgency of different things that are coming up for them. So the environment plays such an important role. And I often say that things don't need to be set up perfectly. I know we're in this phase of having everything organized in a certain way and how many organization TV shows and social media posts you see. And that's wonderful and beautiful. But in reality, it's really hard to maintain, especially for individuals who struggle with organization. So I really try to keep things simple in my work and say, let's find a strategy, a tool, a skill that works for you. And let's practice that well and keep that going. You know, a lot of times I have people come to me and they say, you know, we've worked with executive function coaches before. They gave us a great plan or it was beautiful, but we never used it or my child never used it. And I'm like, that's great. Tools are wonderful, but there needs to be, like you said, this motivational factor, this connection to the work and understanding the why and the how to be able to implement it consistently. I say tools are great, but they're only as good as how we use them. Well, I like the, what you're saying because uh, like take an adolescent as an example, adolescents are rebellious by nature, right? They're trying to assert their, <laughs> they're trying to assert their independence. 
you know, they want to prove that they can do things on their own. It's kind of like going back to when you're a young child, like, look what I do, look what I can do. And so, you know, engaging people in the process of developing their systems, like you said, is essential for anybody so that number one, it fits them. It fits their way of thinking. It fits what they care about. It fits what works for them. And number two, that they're invested in it because they helped create it. Oh, absolutely. And and the next step, I think number three would be to share what's helpful and what works well for you with the people around you and in your life. Because our environment is not just physical space and things. It's also the interactions we have with others. So in our environment, if we're able to advocate for, you know, hey, look, this is a system I use because it helps me. It might be different than yours, but I just wanted to let you know this is how I'm going to be doing things. Sometimes communicating and articulating that makes all the difference. And thinking about shared responsibilities, being able to articulate that, establish a system and routine from the outset is really big. Right now, uh, as we're recording this, we're in September. So a lot of my college students are moving back into the dorms or moving into the dorms for the first time. Um, and I have this conversation all the time, you know, set the expectations really clearly from the beginning. This is how I do my sleep routine. This is when I wake up. This is how I keep things organized and clean. This is how maybe we could share the responsibility of keeping things clean. It's really important to make those expectations clear from the outset. And the same goes for parenting and engaging in a partnership or a relationship that, or a marriage that when you're going to cohabitate with anybody, <laughs> whether it's in a workspace every day or when you come home at night, being clear about those expectations and your routines and the way you do things is so important. And again, it goes back to grounding yourself. So the environment maintains some kind of stability because if your emotional regulatory system goes offline or other things happen or come up for you, you know where things are. You know what needs to happen. And when you practice that well, it almost becomes an anchor for you to solidify the things that you need to do. So it's like when all else goes awry, <laughs> you can always go back to your systems. But sometimes that doesn't come naturally for people. And in fact, as we get older, we start to figure out what works and what doesn't, but we don't often articulate that or share that with others. So for young kids, it's hysterical because a lot of times they think that the adults in their lives are superhuman. Like, how do you get all that done? You know, whether it's a teacher or a parent or, you know, an older sibling, they just look and they're like, oh, this is all coming online. How do they, how do they make all this happen? And behind the scenes, there might be way more going on and stress and frustration, but that's all they see. And I always say, and I actually in my work too, will be vulnerable. It's like, I teach this stuff and sometimes it's hard for me. I need to go back to what I know and practice as well, just as the same way I'm teaching you to do that. But, you know, remembering too, as adults that some younger people or those who struggle with executive function challenges, they might need more explicit scaffolds and supports. And that's what I'm here to help people understand and to do. And in fact, um, Jerry, you know this, a colleague of mine, Lisa Carey down at Kennedy Krieger and I have been writing and putting together a manuscript for a book to help educators across you know, developmental levels to be able to proactively plan how to build in these scaffolds and supports around executive function for the students they work with. Because sometimes being proactive, setting up things in a certain way and establishing these expectations can actually minimize some of the stress around these skills haven't developed yet. Okay. So you're saying that you're going to help educators to provide support for 
students to develop things like time management, organization, prioritization, you know, organizing their material and, you know, learning more efficiently. And what I will say to that is if the layperson and even, you know, people in the fields, whether it's in education or therapy, aren't even completely familiar with executive functioning as a term, how is a student or a young person going to even know what these skills are? And so what I find and what you have always mentioned is that, you know, people who don't know what executive functioning skills are and they struggle, they can really internalize that there's something wrong with them, that they're a failure, that they just can't do anything well, that they have no potential. When in reality, they have all the potential in the world. They just need support to develop these skills to, you know, bolster their potential. And so it's really important. You know, education is power. That's what this podcast is about, to educate, to, you know, normalize some things. And so I think that's an important point as well. Yeah, I think I think education is the great equalizer. And that's why I feel so fortunate to be able to have this platform and to talk with you and others in the field that we'll be bringing on for future episodes about all of this. And you're right. The reason why executive function is such an elusive term is that it doesn't really get defined well or taught well in a lot of teacher training programs, in mental health training programs as you're a part of, you know, executive function is such an important cognitive set of skills. And it actually is very vulnerable because it can be impacted, like you said, by your environment, by your limbic system, which controls all of your emotional functioning. You know, our executive function skills can get activated and deactivated quite easily. So it's really important to remember that our brains are still developing. And a lot of my work too is helping individuals to learn more about themselves, learn more about how they learn and really contextualize it differently. Like you're not lazy. A lot of my clients might get mad at me when I say that. I'm like, lazy isn't really a, a definite a term that we can use to define what's happening here, right? Anybody who we can actually say is lazy, sometimes there's something else going on, like I said before. It's not laziness. Laziness is sometimes a choice because you're deciding not to do something that feels challenging or not preferred in a moment, right? And that makes sense. If there's something that's really difficult or something that you don't want to do, you might choose not to. doesn't mean you're lazy. It just means you're making a choice. (laughs) And that avoidance gets reinforced pretty easily, especially with social media and technology where it's like, I'm going to avoid something you're going to get pretty heavily reinforced for avoiding something. So that's a whole cycle and some would even call it an an addictive cycle in some ways. Most definitely. You know, there's that revenge procrastination that so many of my clients talk about too, where they're like, I worked so hard all day today and I deserve to have a break. So I stayed up till 3 a.m. watching YouTube videos or scrolling on social media. I'm like, well, did that really serve you well? Is that really what you needed in that moment? Or could there have been a different choice? And and that's a lot of the conversation we have. Like, How do we value ourselves differently to make choices that are going to serve us well and reinforce these skills that we're developing? And you slow down that process because that person saying, hey, I work so hard, I need time to myself at 3 a.m., that message and that feeling is actually pretty valid. Mm -hmm. Sure. Mm -hmm. You need time to yourself. You need self-care. So you slow things down. So you're not someone saying, hey, like that's bad. Stop. You need to go to bed earlier. You're actually saying, hey, I get that. That makes sense. What's a better alternative? Try to be more flexible and how you execute that feeling and that desire for something that you need. Don't you wish everybody in the world approached situations in that way instead of being like, no, don't do that. It's like, wait, why did you choose to do that? What do you think? What was the function of it? And, and what 
maybe would you want to do differently next time or if you even would want to. I always say that I don't want to ever work against what's happening in an individual's life. I want to work with it. So even if you know somebody has a habit of staying up late and working, which I have that tendency sometimes too, to make that work with who you are rather than against who you are. Sometimes we need to redefine the terms and think about how society might not always be set up to support the way in which your brain works. And that's okay, not to feel bad about it, but to find ways around it to be able to support you to still do what you need to do and work towards your goals without feeling like there's something wrong. And in fact, I'm glad you brought that up because I don't actually talk in terms of right or wrong. I talk in terms of helpful and not helpful, right? Because if we think of everything in black and white, if we ever end up in the middle, it gets very confusing. And then our brains get disorganized and then that becomes stressful. And in this world right now, there are so many things that are confusing and kind of unsettling and conflicting that I want to try to minimize some of that dichotomy because it it feels like there's a lot of pressure there. And I don't want to ever have people I work with especially feel like there's a pressure to do things in one way and that's the only way, right? Part of the work is about seeing that there's multiple approaches. There's different options to be able to attain a goal or work towards that goal. And helpful not only in the short term, but also in the long term and across different contexts. So yeah. clarifying what helpful and not helpful means is, is part of your work as well. That's great. Most definitely. And like you said, it's it's I'm in it for the long term. I'm not in it just to put a Band-Aid on something to get an assignment turned in or to finish a project or a dissertation or whatever it might be. What I do in my work is really about building sustainable systems and approaches that allow for individuals to work across contexts at different points of their life. And I'm going to bring this back to therapy because executive functioning skills, let's take the skill of organization and inhibiting and being flexible and prioritizing. All these skills are very relevant, actually, to helping people with therapy. And I like when you teach these skills with the patients I have that you work with as well, side by side, because let's take problem solving. Problem solving is a huge part of therapy. You can conceptualize anything going on in one's life as a problem that needs to be solved in some capacity. Um, There's therapies basically built around this idea. And so think about the executive functioning skills. You have a problem. Let's organize your ideas. Okay, what are some solutions that you have in your ideas to address this? Let's organize them so you can take it step by step to see which idea makes the most sense when and where, as opposed to just throwing one idea out and saying it's either this or that. And that helps to ground people. Let's prioritize which ideas make the most sense. When do they make the most sense? Let's help you to inhibit your reactions and slow down and pause and reflect on how you're reacting and learn how to respond rather than react. So the the skills that you're teaching explicitly can really go hand in hand with therapy. And that's why, you know, it's great to have this out there. Absolutely. And Jerry, you make me so proud when I hear you integrating the work that I do into the work that you do. And, you know, over the years going through a lot of our training together and working together, I feel like that's such a great benefit of the two of us kind of combining our efforts and forces. Because as we wrote in a paper together, Thinking about learning in therapy is so important. Essentially, we are learning and relearning and unlearning some of the behaviors that have been ingrained in us since sometimes we're little children. And it's it's a process and it's a really difficult process. You need to be able to accept and be vulnerable enough to say, this is something that's not working for me. 
here are some things I've been thinking. What do I do with it? How do I organize myself to be able to make a plan in a mindful way to progress forward? And it's it's so important. And it's a great honor of mine, not only to work side by side with you and to collaborate on a lot of cases and workshops and things of that nature, but really to see the progress that the individuals we work with make because they are so committed to this process and they are in it with us because it's not easy work. It's really difficult and challenging work to get to a place where you say, I I think I could do better. Help me to do that. It's again, it's very humbling. It's great. And like you said before, the emotions and the um, psychological distress can make the executive functioning skills be reduced and not be activated and vice versa, right? If you're emotionally dysregulated, you're going to be less able to utilize your executive functioning skills like organizing, planning, thinking clearly, and vice versa. If you're not using your executive functioning skills well, you're going to be disorganized. You know, that's going to reflect in how you feel as well. So it really is bi-directional. It goes hand in hand for sure. So and, and day-to-day, there's so many factors that can impact that, as we'll talk about in future episodes, whether it's you know how you're eating, your anticipatory anxiety, like anticipating that something bad's going to happen or you might not have the skills to do it. You know, When the demands get higher in our lives or there's other impacts to our physical health, you know, this set of skills becomes more and more vulnerable. So it's important to educate people about what's happening and to take some of the frustration or the labeling of being lazy or, you know, being unmotivated away to say, hey, look, this is what's happening in your brain right now. This is the point of development you're at. This is why it makes sense. And this is what we can possibly do with it if you want to work on, you know, shifting and changing the way things have been going to think about a different alternative path. And sometimes it takes people a long time to accept that and to really want to work on these skills and have the maturity to say, hey, like, look, okay, this is not working. I really got to make a change here. And that's that's a process, you know, it takes time for people to get to that point. And so. Yeah. I, I wanted to share too that a lot of people that end up coming to me might feel like you said before, like a failure or like there's something wrong with them or they're broken. Or they don't need to use these skills because they have everything, yeah. right? They're smart enough or yeah. they, they don't need they don't need help kind of thing. Or I'm fine. You know, I've gotten this far. Or everybody always told me how smart I was or how much potential I had. And in fact, the, some of that terminology is sometimes what I find one of the greatest barriers to people doing this work is because they kind of ride on these natural skills and intellects that they have. A, a lot of times individuals will kind of go back and just think like, it's enough for me to do what I've been doing. I've been successful enough and that's okay. Even when it feels like there's a lot of resistance to be able to get to where they are and do the things that they do. And a lot of times individuals come to me and say, you know, when I was younger, my family and friends always would say how smart I am or how talented I am. And that's a lot to live up to right? Especially when the demands get higher and all of a sudden you're not able to easily glide through challenges as well as you had before. And that becomes actually a huge impediment. And I see that come up where it it actually stifles their ability to ask for help, to be able to seek assistance or think of different options of or ways of doing things. And a lot of my work, right, which kind of butts up against the work you do is where I pull in, you know, hey, have you been talking about this stuff in therapy? Because I can tell that there's a 
pattern in the narrative that you're thinking about this, that there's something wrong with you for even asking for help or that you can't get past a certain point because it's been so easy in the past. Now what do you do? And that that's okay, right? Sometimes we all need assistance. If I needed to you know, build something in my backyard, I might try it. I might watch a YouTube video, but I probably wouldn't do it as well as a carpenter would do. <laughs> Sometimes we need to outsource those skills or ask for guidance to be able to gain them and practice them ourselves. And, you know, when you're providing these skills and helping the individual to develop more structure to have more executive functioning skills, organization, planning, stuff like that, it's not to impose too much structure into a person's life. And because I think sometimes people don't like that, you know, people want their freedom, they want their autonomy, they want their creative openness, they don't want so much structure. And that's an important nuance that is important to talk about. Hey, we're not trying to, you know, make your life so rigid and so structured and controlled. We're just trying to find the right structure, that right balance of structure and freedom and openness. So it's a balancing act. It's not like you have because you can't have too much openness. You'll you'll become chaotic. You can't have way too much structure. You become too rigid. So I think, you know, that's kind of the nuance of your work is finding that and helping people to realize that, you know, there is a balance. It doesn't have to be too extreme one way or the other. Yeah. And the balance is never going to be equal. The balance is going to be, you know, give and take up and down. And that's okay. So in my work with with educators and and caregivers especially, I talk about this a lot, that if we create too much structure and too high of expectations that doesn't feel reasonable or manageable, we lose the person we're working with before we even get started because they will perceive and anticipate that they just can't do it. And they might try once or twice, or maybe they've even done it before in the past, but they're not able to, or they don't think they can. And immediately it just shuts them down. So we want to be mindful of creating too much structure. We really want to work with the people that we're helping to support to scaffold things in a way that feels reasonable and and sometimes on their terms, to be quite honest, especially when we think about adolescents and young adults, we don't ever want to tell them what to do. We want to help them to find what's going to be most helpful for them in different situations because oftentimes they actually have more knowledge and wisdom about themselves than we give them credit for. And having those open conversations and being curious often unlocks so much, so much to be able to figure out what the path is and what the goal is and how to get there. And going back to your original question about the process of of doing work with somebody like me is you get the information, you establish a goal together. And yeah, I have a gajillion strategies, skills, and tools that I can share with the people I work with, but not everyone is going to work for every person. And my job is really to facilitate this process of helping individuals figure out what works best for them. And of course, I have my own expertise and knowledge uh, across the, the the board from, you know, my work in developmental psychology and educational psychology and neuroscience of education and like all of these different things that I'm using that are predominantly empirically based that I integrate into my work. But really, it's not up to me. When we think about how to really guide and support this process, it comes down to feeling connected to it, feeling that you have some belief and confidence in yourself to do it. And that increases the motivation to do it, right? Motivation isn't something we can construct. It's something that we can build and we can grow together. And I I like to say that 
Renaissance was one of my favorite time periods for art and just everything that happened and came from it when the world began to flourish in a different way. And Michelangelo, as I mentioned before, you know, he used to say that he doesn't create the sculptures and the works of art that he's known for. He helps to kind of chip away and help to reveal the art and the beauty that was within before he even got started. And I feel the same way about my work, right? Sometimes I become a mirror or a reflection for individuals to see themselves in a different light that maybe they've lost in the process. Maybe they've been misunderstood as learners or individuals before, and I get to see them through a different perspective, and I get to help them to see that. And really chip away at some of that external stuff that has bogged them down and gotten to them gotten them to a point where they feel so overwhelmed and shut down that it's hard for them to move forward and I am so grateful to be a part of that process and have developed some beautiful relationships with individuals who are now thriving right they're in the work wor- work world you know as engineers as business people as educators as lawyers, as people in marketing, I mean, incredible people doing incredible things because they put in the work. And now at this stage of my life, I laugh a little bit because most people don't actually recognize that there's a different way of doing things until things go wrong. And, you know, sometimes people refer refer to that as the midlife crisis. But a lot of the people I work with get to start this work early. I love working with young adults and college age or adolescent learners because they get to do some deep thinking and and pave a path that is quite different sometimes than their peers. And it, it is empowering and it is amazing. And I am inspired by everybody I work with every day and so grateful to be able to do this work. Excellent, Lex. Well, I think you gave a great overview and we had some great conversation about this topic of how you help people with their learning and their executive functioning and kind of everyday functioning in their life and how to make it more efficient. Sure did. (laughs) You know, it's it's funny, Jared, I'm going to jump in. Sorry. You know, oftentimes you will say that I become the assister, like throwing the assists, but I'm really grateful for you today because I feel like you did such a beautiful job synthesizing and summarizing a lot of the work that I do. And I appreciate that. You were my reflection of myself today, and I'm grateful for that. (laughs) And you are my forever assister. (laughs) Thanks for a great episode two of Read Connected Podcast. We look forward to providing more education on this topic of executive function and learning and education and so forth as we go forward. Thanks so much, Jer. See you soon, Lex. Thanks for tuning in to the Read Connected podcast. Please remember that this is a podcast intended to educate and share ideas and is not a substitute for professional care that may be beneficial to you at different points of your life. If you're in need of support, please contact your primary care physician, educational institution, or support staff at your place of employment to seek out referrals for what may be most helpful for you. Ideas shared here have been shaped by many years of training, incredible mentors, research, evidence-based practices, and our work with individuals over the years, but is not intended to represent the opinions of those we work with or are affiliated with. The Reed Connected podcast is hosted by Alexis Reed and Dr. Gerald Reed, is produced by Lauren Biza, our communications and marketing coordinator is Colin Faley, and original music is written and recorded by Gerald Reed.
If you want to follow along on this journey with us, the Read Connected podcast will be releasing a new episode every two weeks each season. So please subscribe for updates and notifications. And you can follow us on Instagram at Read Connected Podcast and Twitter at Read Connected. R-E-I-D Connected. We're grateful for you joining us and look forward to future episodes. In the meantime, be curious, be open, be well.